I'm not ashamed to be me. I'm unashamed to come out. Well, you should be, and our world was better when people were trying to suppress their every sexual fetish and desire. That is, unless you like public parades with fully naked middle-aged fat men who haven't seen a gym in years unless it was to embarrass themselves publicly with nudity in the locker room. There's some things that you should be unashamed about. Sure, but trust me, it's not identifying with made-up genders. In postmodernity, we have developed a creed, and it is cut off your nose to spite your face, or better yet, cut off your sex organs to spite reality. For those who have fallen for this lie, they cry out to convince the world and themselves that they haven't made a horrible mistake. In so many ways, our world was better when it was, quote, repressed by puritanical values. Children weren't being targeted by drag queens, the divorce rate was lower, fertility rates weren't on the verge of catastrophic decline, and people like this weren't allowed a microphone. How many times has the Bible is been the, translated? How many times has the Bible been translated? Is, this is correct, is it not? Sure, the chief goal of religion is not shame, but shame sure is a useful value when a person who has no business talking about the Bible and its many, quote, translations, cannot muster the humility to realize that she has no idea what she's talking about. But don't worry, she's not alone in her brazen, shameless attempts to hijack reality. When Taylor Swift dares to change a lyric about female promiscuity in a song, social media loses its mind. But even Swift seems to have the good sense to realize that a woman is worth more than her ability to spread her legs. So we'll look at that story, but we'll also take a look at Piers Morgan, who continues to dish out hits on his show with another appearance by Douglas Murray, who schools some anti-racists. This time, the shameless attempt to racialize everything stinks, especially in the light of the modern-day slave trade that few people seem to want to acknowledge, I guess because they can't pull their head out of their own 1619 projects. And finally, we'll look at a repeat offender of moral sensibilities, the new evangelicals, and how they yet again find zero shame in totally misrepresenting basic facts. But this time, it's particularly egregious because they're going after the Babylon Bee on abortion. So if you believe that perhaps there are some things that we should have some shame about, you'll like today's show. But we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. If you think that this gag of holding up a bag of non-fat dairy creamer is going to get old, uh, then you have another thing coming. I have an endless capacity for dad jokes, and I love making fun of, well, a organization that doesn't seem to be able to know who a bag of cocaine belongs to, even though they have cameras all around the whole facility and they need names and social security numbers of every single person who enters the place. Now, not only is that a sign of the incredible ineptitude of our current administration, but it is also a sign of their incredible corruption. I don't know who the bag belongs to either, and we probably never will know unless you can rhyme the words bunter Haydn with something else. Uh, but the one thing you can know and you can always rest upon is that 
you can find mortgage experts at Element Home Loans. And the Kevin Blair team are at the top of the game. Not only is he one of the top producers in the nation in terms of mortgage loans, but also he's just a really great guy. And you won't find a bag like this around his office. Needless to say, if you want to get pre-qualified for a home, you want to refinance a home, you want to invest in the real estate market, there's no better people on the planet to do so. So all you need to do is go to kbmtg.com. That's kbmtg.com. Com today to see how they can help you get into a brand new home. I have intentionally avoided speaking about Taylor Swift on this show, even though I might have had multiple occasions to do so, simply because I think any adult that spends a moment of time talking about Taylor Swift has probably wasted their life in multiple different ways, other than just when they mentioned Taylor Swift. But she actually has a good reason for showing up on the show today because she is perhaps unintentionally, proving the point that whoredom is not good. I hate to be so forward, but here's Apple News giving us some information about Taylor. Quote, Better Than Revenge features a new lyric as the pop star removed a line that some say was slut-shaming. The original lyric was, she's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. However, in Taylor's version, the lyric is now, he was a moth to the flame, she was holding the matches. Fans were not surprised by the revision, with some wishing it had not happened. Because apparently you would never want to shame a slut. Why would you ever do anything like that? Listen, progressives are so unoriginal. They just find something beautiful and they love to destroy it. So Taylor Swift actually takes a stand here and changes the lyrics about a girl who is uh, sleeping around endlessly and claims her only talent as sleeping around. She just dares to change that verse. And of course, social media loses its mind and calls that slut shaming. Now, if this isn't an indication of how the left wing has rewired the brains of the vast majority of people, especially in Gen Z, I don't know what is. Um, and I've tried to talk, you know, pretty prolifically on this show about how important it is that the right voices be heard and repeated and how important it is to speak the truth out loud. Uh, because there are others out there who also understand this, but but are doing so in a much more emphatic way than the people who actually like possess you know, a prefrontal cortex and a apprehension of basic reality. For instance, Planned Parenthood is joining the uh, those who think that slut-shaming should be forbidden. And just recently on a post, they said this, that virginity is a social construct. They go on to say that virginity comes from outdated, let's be real, patriarchal ways of thinking that hurts everyone. Now, they said this on their Twitter account. Now, let me help you interpret just a little bit. Please, pretty, 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 please. In the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned, our bottom line is suffering. So we need you to have way more sex and way more babies out of wedlock so that you can kill them. Our bottom line is suffering. Cross-sex hormones just aren't cutting it. Well, I mean, they are cutting it like literally they're, you know, that's the precursor to cutting things. But but it's not cutting it financially. We need more abortions, people. Jump to. We need more of you to perform casual sex to create babies that you then get rid of, annihilate, butcher in the womb, so that we can get more people through our doors. Well, here's the question. Is virginity a puritanical, patriarchal construct? And there is really no such thing as virginity after all. 
Well, here's the answer. The sexual revolution uh, apparently was replete also with continuous drug usage that these people have fried their brain. That's not the real answer. The real answer is the sexual revolution has not been good for anyone. Well, maybe except for one group. So this idea that modesty and making sure that you save sex for the union of marriage and that you don't have multiple you know, body counts to your name, um, the, the reason it is not just some puritanical concept, but actually is a much more transcendent and important truth, which is why you know, Planned Parenthood wants to destroy it, is that, first of all, there's only one group that is benefiting from the kind of sexual revolution that is not only making casual sex more common, but also changing the laws of consent or the way in which we view sex in the present. Oddly enough, the age of consent has come back under scrutiny, much to the jubilation and excitement of pedophiles. This works this way. You know, as we're talking about transgenderism in the present, people are asking, you know, should we lower the age of consent? And when can a child consent to have their body parts chopped off or to go under cross-sex hormones or to start binding their chest or tucking their junk? When, when does a child have the ability to kind of consent to that? So the sexual revolution has evolved into the place where now we are starting to question what consent actually looks like in the present, because after all, for the liberal, the only real mitigating principle is not morality and that which is right, but it is that which can be consented to. As long as you consent, well, then have at it. That's what freedom is actually all about. See, this is what the sexual revolution is doing to our brains. But actually, it's really just benefiting one group of people, as I already mentioned. And that group of people are sexual deviants that care about sexualizing children. And it's way more common than what you might think. So here's some stats. Adolescents aged 14 to 17 are the ones who are by far the most likely to be sexually victimized. Nearly one in six was sexually victimized in the last year. Sexual assaults are on the rise throughout the whole of the U.S. On average, state-by-state comparative analysis show that there are approximately 325,000 victims of rape and sexual assault age 12 or older in the U.S. every year. Now, if that's not enough to tell you that the only people who are really benefiting from the shamelessness with which we talk about sex in the present, let's talk about those who are peddling sex online. And this is from a Forbes article about the founder of OnlyFans. Quote, what little else is known about Radvinsky is not flattering. Some 20 years ago, before the internet pornography was widely available for free, he ran a small empire of website that advertised access to illegal and hacked passwords to porn sites, including ones that were advertised as featuring underage performers. In the late 1900s, such link sites were common and were used to market not just pornography, but online gambling and other gray market activities. But Rad Vinsky was particularly aggressive. Looking through the Wayback Machine website, Forbes uncovered 11 such sites, all created in the late 1900s and early 2000s by Radvinsky. And in his Glenview, Illinois-based business, Cybertania, they included Password Universe, which in 2000 published a link directing web users to a site claiming to offer pedophiles more than 10,000 illegal pre-teen passwords. In 1999, a site called Working Passes had a link for the hottest under hardcore containing 16 year olds also in 2000 another site ultra passwords promised a link containing the best illegal teen passwords and the hottest bestiality site on the website the illegal age for porn actors in the u.s is 18 while bestiality is illegal in most american states i'd love to know which state it's not illegal in by the way anyhow the whole point of me reading all of that to you is that 
nobody is benefiting in society from the kind of free sex revolution of the 70s all the way up into the present. Our shamelessness around sex has simply made a culture that is way less livable. So the OnlyFans model can say what they want, and they can say that they're not hurting anybody while the owner of OnlyFans goes around passing out passwords to bestiality sites and to pedophile porn. So if you actually care a little bit, you might care about the whoredom kind of going around our whole nation. Now, there's this great joke. Um, Man's sitting on a plane, and he's sitting next to a woman who he finds very attractive. He leans over to her and says, hey, you know... I'm a pretty wealthy individual. I would like to give you $11 million for you to spend the night with me. And she kind of uncomfortably sits for a moment and thinks about it. And she says, I don't know. That kind of makes me uncomfortable. I'll think about it. And he says, well, how about this? How about instead of $11 million, I'll just give you $11 and you spend the night with me. And she gets all offended. And she says, how dare you? What kind of woman do you think I am? I, I would never. And he says, well, we've already established what kind of woman you are. Now we're just negotiating a price. And the reality is, is that our society is becoming a place of classless people where Taylor Swift can't even change the lyric in a song to try to class the joint up a little bit without getting people all up in arms. Of course, it is not better for society and certainly not better for women or men to have a society where casual sex is common. We know what it does. All it does is run cover for perverts. But the kind of demented perverts that are in society are all over the place and not just in the realm of the sexual revolution because Piers Morgan just recently had a segment on his show. I think that was kind of talking about Juneteenth and it's kind of global celebration or wherever it's celebrated. And um, he, he spoke to Douglas Murray and Douglas Murray had some amazing things to say about kind of the race baiting that's going on in the present. Here's that. Both America and United Kingdom, two of the greatest countries in the world. It's almost well, like that's... every day now, somebody somewhere, normally on the left, the woke left, is queuing up to find a reason to hate the countries and their histories. Well, it's, it's a kind of grievance competition. Your guest earlier just tried to engage in it. I don't know what hurt she believes she's had from slavery. Uh, all of this was addressed two centuries ago. Everything has consequences. All history has consequences and ramifications. But, you know, if we were to play this fairly, we would at least look at all of the countries around the world that engaged in the slave trade who are simply not interested in any form of reparations, the, the, the Ottoman Empire, all the Arab countries, countries who not just traded far more slaves than across the Atlantic, but castrated all the men so that there wouldn't be any more African slaves in, uh, after them. They worked them to the bone. I see no interest across Africa in paying reparations for selling their brother and sister Africans into slavery or for working them to the bone to the present day. There is slavery across Africa today. In fact, there are more slaves in the world today than there were at the height of the transatlantic slave trade. So some of us are simply a bit bored of hearing people ripping at closed wounds and then crying about their hurt. Now, let me just give you a brief synopsis of what you just heard from Douglas Murray. First of all, you weren't there and neither were the people you blame. So why are we continuing to keep this up? Secondly, you don't ask Arabs and other Africans to pay reparations. Why are you only asking white people to pay reparations? Somehow this seems like anti-white racism. Uh, the third thing, you don't qualify 
um, who should get reparations. So we have no robust conversation as to if we can look at people's dis- personal decision making and if that weighs in on some of the way that their present life is difficult for them or if it really has to do with the race. Furthermore, what about like Africans who came to America in the 1980s to pursue a better life than what they could find in Africa? Do those people get reparations when they weren't even a part of the transatlantic slave trade? So who exactly qualifies for reparations is the is the point. And fourth, the most shameful aspect of the kind of hypocritical race peddlers like Robin DiAngelo and Al Sharpton and more is that they have no concern for modern slaves. And this is the biggest point of it all. These hypocrites who want to continually talk about racism of the past never oddly want to talk about slavery in the present. Because there's a couple of things that you should know about slavery in the present. And the first thing is this, is that right now there are more slaves around the world than there ever were in the transatlantic slave trade. Where is the activism on that? In fact, most estimates tell us that there are around 12 million to 12.8 million Africans shipped across the Atlantic over the span of 400 years in the transatlantic slave trade. But you can't guess how many slaves there presently are globally. According to global estimates of modern slavery from Walk Free, the International Labor Organization and the International Organization for Migration, there's about 49.6 million people living in modern slavery in forced labor and forced marriage. Roughly a quarter of all victims of modern slavery are children. So did you catch that? There are more children right now, slaves around the world being used to harvest their organs for for just slave work, for sex, and for any number of things. There's more children as slaves right now in the present around the globe than there were in the whole of the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. No wonder these, quote, race baiters and race activists want to consistently ask for reparation and constantly want to look at 1619 rather than address what's going on in the world today. Maybe because it's it's way more lucrative for them to fight ghosts because that's an endless source of wealth for them rather than actually making a difference in the present. Because if you can't actually change anything, then you can constantly say that there's a problem. The reality is, is these people desperately need Jesus. My appearance does not make it easy. Don't it make you crazy? It did once, but then I found peace by devoting my life to God. And speaking of which, there's a group of supposed new evangelicals that really need him just as bad, as we'll see in our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of Pronouns. On the show in the past, I've talked much about emotivism, and I won't go into great detail now. Suffice to say, emotivism is the operating principle that your pleasure, your feelings are more important than the truth, than the objective truth. In other words, so if it feels good, do it. This has become the operating philosophy of the present. And in the present, because of emotivism, it is really easy to find stories that defy logic. I do it on the show on a regular basis. I did it on the show last uh, this past Tuesday with Marquette University and their workshop about changing the voices of uh, young boys and girls to match their gender identity, supposedly. Uh, but of course, an endless resource, you know, a, a well that doesn't seem to ever have a bottom. Uh, to the insanity is to always go to the Twitter page or the Instagram page of the new evangelicals. They are, are a dependable source for trite 
arguments made by unimpressive men. And here we have another one as they target the Babylon Bee on the subject of abortion. So Joel Berry is from the Babylon Bee and he said this, the framing of the CNN story is insane. They wanted an abortion because of a birth defect. Kentucky Medicaid wouldn't pay for premature delivery to induce death. So they traveled out of state for a D&E abortion. The reason they couldn't hold the baby was because she was in pieces. Now, as tragic as that is, even more tragic perhaps is the supposed new evangelicals. And this is what they said in response to Joel. This framing of this take is vile. The baby was missing part of their brain and would either suffer for hours or be stillborn. To minimize the suffering of the fetus, they wanted to end the pregnancy early, but couldn't because of Kentucky's strict abortion law. Now, a couple of points about our friends over at the New Evangelicals, and by friends, I mean heretics. Uh, the first thing is this, is that we could just talk about the fact that the New Evangelicals are trying to prove the rule by using an exception and just stop right there. Of course, this birth defect that this child is dealing with in this story, as we'll get into in a moment, is, is a devastating birth defect and one that typically leads to the death of the baby. Uh, but it is also incredibly rare to suggest that we need abortions just because we need to minimize the suffering as the ba of the baby, as we'll see in a moment, is is ludicrous and it is a it, it is a straw man to say the least. They are not really interested in actually talking about the vast majority of abortions, which are done about to the tune of ninety eight percent, just simply done out of convenience or because of fear or because of lack of money, but. In terms of incest and rape and life of the mother, only about 2% of abortions every single year are actually as a result of that, and that is being charitable. Uh, but, you know, to be that honest would deny the multiple layers of ignorance and dishonesty that are on display by the New Evangelicals. So let's go to the second point here and push that to the side. The New Evangelicals just discovered what abortion is, apparently. But welcome to the party, boys. Abortion is always something that is devastating and difficult for the people that have it. I'm glad you are extending your sympathy toward this couple in Kentucky that had to get an abortion and, and, and are reeling from the aftermath of this abortion because they couldn't hold their dead baby one last time before they finally said goodbye to it. And that's ultimately what this story was about, is that they weren't able to say goodbye to their baby. And that was so devastating because of Kentucky's laws there in that state uh, made that family have to go somewhere else where they could only get a DNA, which kind of cuts the baby up in pieces. And so we're supposed to feel bad for the fact that this couple wasn't able to hold their baby. And of course, we, we do, but we also feel bad for the fact that abortion cuts babies up into pieces. So again, welcome to the party. This is abortion. I'm, I'm glad you don't like it very much, New Evangelicals. I'm glad you can extend sympathy for these people who are reeling from the fact that their baby was just cut up into pieces. But maybe then we should probably start talking about being pro-life then, don't you think? Point three. Uh, the New Evangelicals claim that what this family did by getting an abortion was to minimize the suffering of the fetus. So I'm glad the New Evangelicals are reading from the left playbook because the fetus, quote, you know, quote, fetus, is actually a baby and abortion, whether you like it or not, is murder. It's not minimizing suffering. But let's analyze their claim just so that we can be incredibly fair. This baby was suffering from anencephaly, and this is a neuro disorder that causes the baby to be born with the top part of its skull, where its brain can even be exposed and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, there's a couple of things that you should know about anencephaly. First of all, it is possibly treatable according to the CDC, as you'll see up on the screen now. 
So you can treat anencephaly with folic acid and you can try to do the best that you can to try to help this baby. Chances are that it will not work because I want to be fair here and be honest. But the reality is, is that no doctor's verdict is final until that baby is born. So let's dig down a little bit deeper because the new evangelicals claim that this would minimize the suffering of the baby. Well, here's one minor problem here. Anencephaly impairs the pain receptors of the baby's brain. So the baby would not feel pain if it was born with anencephaly. So, so much for minimizing pain and suffering. One final point about all of this, and this is where I have to be really, really honest. What this couple wanted was to be spared pain themselves. This was not about the pain of the baby. It was about the pain of delivering a baby in this situation. And listen, it's understandable. I would hate to see my child in that predicament, in that situation, only to be born and then to either die immediately or to die a couple days later. But like all abortive efforts, no matter how you try to run cover, in a word, to perform an abortion simply because you don't want to have to go through the pain of having a child that would be born in this condition that might be able to survive, that might be able to overcome this thing, at least if you gave it the chance, at least if you didn't abort it unnecessarily. In a word, to merely abort this baby, we have to acknowledge the other competing interest here. And the other competing interest is that you just don't want to have to go through that trauma. And in a word, that is selfish. Look, I get it. I I have sympathy for this couple and what they must be going through. I hate that they couldn't hold their baby one last time. But as always, human sympathy is not the answer when we face life's biggest questions. As a Christian, and perhaps even if you're not one, I would encourage you to think about this. When you look at life's biggest questions, it's important to go to life's biggest book. The place where you go when you don't know what to do is you go to God's word. And once again, we see the pro-life stance is not only the only biblical stance that you can take, it is also the only rational one. But the thought process has never been something that is really a strong suit of the new evangelicals. But let's just make sure if you are a real evangelical, that it is your strong suit. You need to be a defender of basic reality. And you need to be somebody who doesn't fall for the sympathetic and emotive arguments that we often hear on the left. If you're going to do that, you need to think for yourself. And I'd love to hear what you think about everything we just heard down in the comment section below. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to go with God.